This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Rethinking Professional Sports League Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. All right, pretty good. I'm sure John Patrickoff, our guest, will like that. An innovator, a rethinker, if you will, a renaissance man in the sports business world. I love it. Uh, John, how long we know each other now? Oh, Scott, we go way, way back. I don't know. I feel like you've known everybody since they were born. I mean, I feel like I'm like I'm, I'm not. I'm a new friend. Like you've only known me since I was 13 or something. Oh, so like just after the bar mitzvah, that's when I met you. Like as I was leaving the venue, with counting checks. That's when I met, ran into John Patrickoff. Listen, you got the invite. That's all I can say. That's all I could say. Well, there's plenty. You better say plenty more because Athletes Unlimited, I'm loving this because there is, and let me know if you feel this, there is a groundswell, at least in the notion that people looking for return on investment are missing the boat by not paying attention to women's sports. And our friends over at the Sports Innovation Lab now have the data that backs it up. But give me the tangible, because I just feel it building. What's, what are the tangible items you can share that tell me, you, and the world that people are missing out if they think there ain't money to be made on women's sports? Yeah, I mean, so I think you, you can easily look to three things. I mean, first of all, I think the most tangible you know, data points that are out there is you see NWSL transaction values going up dramatically. Um, and there's big know, fights over these you. teams. Come on, not just the, not just the value; yeah, they're I mean, fighting not, over I, it. I, yeah, I don't love some of what's been going on. It's 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 it's. Listen, there's a lot there's a lot a lot going with that. But but fundamentally, whether it's twenty five or thirty five million dollars for the team, um, you know, the reality is NWSL teams could be purchased for less than I don't you know less certainly single digits only a few years ago. So NWSL team valuations up dramatically. Um, expansion in that league. Per, you know, construction of, of large scale venues that are, that are showing people are willing to invest capital. So that's one, two TV ratings strong in the WNBA, um, 2020, we all know a lot of leagues were having troubles and the, the WNBA was up, uh, NWSL has shown that when it's on major broadcast networks, you can also see, you know, big numbers. Um, and so those are two things. And then three, we're just seeing more and more corporate partnerships, um, happening in the world of women's professional sports. And that is always a great, great indication. I don't think anybody questions whether, whether there've been fans. Um, but I think like everything, you, you know, it's the fans that come first. 
Uh, it takes a little bit of a while for for the for the corporate partners to come on board, and 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 similarly with the broadcasters. So I think we're starting to see that now, no doubt about it. All right, I want to give you uh, uh, some room here to talk about your corporate partnerships, but I did notice, and I wonder how many other people in the business notice investors as well, or prospective investors, the NCAA volleyball championships. It was like 1.2 million people. You want to put up that number against established Big Four leagues? That's fine. Guess who wins? I mean. I people were more than surprised at that number, but again, it's that drumbeat when you when you see a number like that. Do I wonder how many people are out there going? Wait a minute! And and one of one of athletes unlimited sports is volleyball, and I wonder how many people are going. Wait a minute! Why weren't we on this sooner? Like this is Bitcoin ten years ago. I mean, listen, when we started Athletes Unlimited, uh, we were in 2019, 2020, thinking about what league we we're going to start with. The first league we launched was in pro it was was pro women's softball. Um, that was driven in large part by our recognition. There were 1,500 games a year on ESPN. It um, was regularly outrating almost all college sports besides men's basketball um, and, and, and men's football. So we knew and we saw that early on in softball. You know, They put up over 2 million viewers per game uh, in the NCAA last year on, in the softball side. And then now you're seeing it on volleyball. So the numbers are there. There's no question. Granted, converting fans from college sports fans to pro sports fans, I don't want to say that's simple or easy or direct, but you know, our model at Athletes Unlimited is all based around the individual athletes, the strength of their followings, the followings they've built at the college level. And so that's exactly what we're leaning into. And again, that, that's another data point that we need. So, so the first three sports for Athletes Unlimited all kind of fit that mold. Popular in college, maybe not a huge pro scene quite yet, softball, lacrosse, volleyball. And then this week, you're launching basketball, which seems like a, a, a deviation from at least the, the basic pattern in that certainly popular women's basketball in college, there is a very established professional women's basketball league already. What, what was it about basketball that made you guys think, okay, we know the WNBA is out there. We know that they have been there for a while. There, there, there's a fan base there. We think that we can add more to the women's professional basketball world here in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, just exactly what you said. I mean, first, we, we do start with the, the overall kind of market analysis, our market analysis is the basketball and women's basketball continues to be, um, you know, really the strongest and most popular sport uh, on the women's side. Um, and we always knew that from the beginning. Um, I think the W has done an incredible job. It's built a true, you know, great fan base, um, created a pipeline and opportunities for a select group of players. So once we kind of make that determination, recognize that this next thing we do is we go talk to the players themselves and, and sit down and say, listen, we're thinking about bringing our, our, our model to your sport. What do you think? The response was terrific. The reality is so many WNBA players um, have had to go overseas in the offseason. Um, and when we came forward with the idea of a five week season here in the U.S., they loved it. And, you know, for us, it was a no brainer that fans would want it. But getting the response from from players um, and getting their buy-in was really the key thing that that said, okay, let's go do this. So do you view this, this as a competitor to the WNBA? It's a kind of a sister league in which athletes that are playing in the W are also going to be able to play here and maybe not play overseas. Kind of how do you think about the growth of this product relative to to, to the W? You know, everybody wants to, to compare or contrast or put yourself up against something else. I mean, it's, 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 an, it's human nature. I really try not to do that. The answer is we really do see ourselves as a collaborator um, 100%. And we've got a number of W players that are playing in the league. We also have a number of non-W players that are playing in the league. I think one thing that is universally recognized by everyone is that there are a tremendous number of great players that don't find room in the W. There's a lot of talk about expansion. So I think 
you know, to me, it seems like a actually kind of a crazy discussion to talk about, well, is there a good reason to have more women's pro basketball on uh, in television and live in person? I mean, the obvious answer is yes. How you do that in a financially sound way when the right time is, is, is a different question. But I really try hard not to compare ourselves, not to put ourselves up, but, but fundamentally, absolutely collaborators um, and excited to just help grow the sport overall. All right. We're chatting with John Patrickoff, co-founder of Athletes Unlimited. Your partner was Jonathan Soros. Now, John, far be it from me to give you advice, but can I give you a little bit of advice? Having worked almost, well, now with, with, with Sportico, 30 plus years in the sports business industry and dealing with the, the lawyers and uh, all the time, do not, do not put out an orange sweatshirt with a silhouette of a player. It, because I'm telling you, your phone's going to ring. Your, te- your telephone will ring. Do not do that. But in all seriousness, we got 10 polls here. We got to make money, right? We have to make money. That's what you're in this for. You have Scott, Scott, you brought up lawyer. I mean, you can't do that to me. You bring up lawyers and things in, a, in, a, in the premise to a question and you're giving me advice. I mean, that's you know, that was just you have me, you have me sneaking here. I don't know. where. No, you're no, no. Every every that. show has a Soshnik. Every every show, John, as you know, has a tangential Soshnik soliloquy. That was mine right there. Now we're going to move on to really good stuff. <laughs> but but, you know, the tentpole, the revenue tentpoles, you've got tickets, you've got sponsorship, you've got broadcast, right? Break it down for me here, particularly the broadcast and the sponsorship. That you know, the, the big money comes in there. What do these broadcast outlets, and notice I didn't say network anymore. I said outlets because anybody's a broadcaster these days. By the way, we, as you know, was driving home from the Boston area with my focus group of one son. We were missing the NFL games yesterday. I, I love this. This is like the dinosaur and the new guy. I said to him, dude, why don't you put the game on the radio? Like, here's how you put on AM radio, right? And he's like, dad, what are you talking about? I'm going to get it on, I'm going to get a live stream on Twitch or not on, on a TikTok. He found some dude live streaming it on TikTok. I'm like, you're so much smarter than I am. But anyway, back to the question for you. How do they both uh, engage with your league, particularly a new league? And what do they get out of it? Yeah. So, so, so I'll give you the, the three big buckets and then I'll tell you one that's not a big bucket. So the first, definitely corporate partnerships. I mean, integrated marketing partnerships um, are what it's all about. Can you, for, for people who may not know, what does that mean? It's, it's a little jargon. Integrated marketing partner. What, what does that mean to the lay person? Yeah, so, so, I mean, you know, and again, um, you know, if you think back 20 years, right, every partner, every, a corporate sponsor of a, of a league, right, was buying static signage or buying an ad or, you know, put, putting their name somewhere. I mean, those days are so long gone, it's almost not worth talking about. But what today it is, is about how can a league truly and how can a, how can a partner be truly integrated into improving the experience of fans or the experience of athletes? That's really how I think about it. And I think when we start with every partnership, um, they're all centered around doing something together that will make the league better. And then telling that story of that partnership through ancillary media assets. So the ad that you run will tell that story. The social media content or video content you create will tell that story. When you communicate with fans, you'll talk about the way in which you and your partner are, you know, are doing something together and how that partner, and and it's, it's true, is enabling something to happen that otherwise wouldn't happen without their involvement. That's the, that's the Holy grail. That's what we're all shooting for. We love that as a property because it's true. They're helping us do something we wouldn't be able to do. And as a partner, that means that you're actually meaningfully contributing to the success of a league and, and you deserve the credit. You should get the credit. And that's how we start every one of our partnerships. So that's what an integrated marketing partnership is. Those are at the core. 
And then in order to kind of deliver them value, you need a set of assets. You need on-site and, and in-person in experiences. You need digital and traditional television broadcast. And I disagree with you because I don't think everybody today, from my perspective, not everybody today is a broadcaster. I disagree. I think there are two categories. And there's one category where the value exchange is a little more true, you know, tested over time, where the scale of live content is still much, much greater. And then there's a whole set of other partners that fall into this a different category, which are very important for amplification, for marketing, but they're not really set up right now to create the value exchange that leads need to survive. And so that's why partners like Fox and CBS and ESPN are so important and continue to be so important. And, and for that matter, the TNTs of the world and the other traditional broadcast partners that are willing to engage in a true value exchange um, with leagues. And while everyone wants to talk about social and everyone wants to talk platforms, they're so important. We put tons of content out on Instagram and TikTok and otherwise, those are building our channels. There's not as great a direct uh, connection yet between, between how a league survives long-term and those. What channels. about the athletes so, themselves on their own platforms? And particularly if they're doing awesome. something I mean, live, yeah. Evan and I love, and the example Evan loves to tell is the Giannis Antetokounmpo after the championship. He and his brother were were Instagramming, and like every, and he went through what the the drive-in window at was it Taco Bell? What, I mean, that, I mean, you have millions of people engaging with that content. It's incredible. I mean that, and again, that was the insight. Again, I see that in two categories. One is marketing, audience, you know, creation, development, and building. That's why we created Athletes Unlimited all around the individual athletes as opposed to creating fixed teams and spending a lot of team on team marketing. Because just like you said, you know, Giannis, I fundamentally believe whether Giannis is playing where he is today or whether he goes to the next team, his fans are going to follow him anywhere. And that he is he is the valuable intellectual property, I believe, or the most valuable intellectual property in that team. And he's got the most powerful platform and the fans to connect with him. So that's why our model is what our model is. But again, very different between... What is it to build, you know, his following, the marketing value, and then actually translating that into money? Hold on, let me hold on. I want to jump in one, Evan. I'm sorry, sorry, because he just said a point. I'm curious in this in this kind of bifurcated world now, where IP rights, some are held by the league, some are held by the unions and the players. Do you are you telling me? And I don't know if it's individual player specific that you would put the greater value or place the greater value on the athlete over team marks and brands like I can have a Giannis ad not in a Milwaukee Bucks uniform because he's Giannis uh, versus having to or at least the need and I and I air quote need to see him in the official NBA and team marks and logos I mean that's my view and that's why we created Athletes Unlimited the way we did um, truly I believe that you know Listen, th th there are some tremendous legacy brands in the world of professional team sports. Um, there's no question about it. Um, I'm not willing to, I hate to say this, I'm not willing to put the bucks in that legacy brand, you know, category yet with some of the other teams that are out there. No disrespect at all, but but I just don't think that you're, you're count. referring to the Ottawa Senators and Memphis Grizzlies. I understand. <laughs> when you have, in the case of Athletes Unlimited, when I was, you know, working with Jonathan three years ago and we were thinking about getting into women's pro sports, we saw the market opportunity. We had to make the decision. Should we build a team city-based league, which is going to create the 12th or 13th or 14th team in a market using that city's base name? Or should we lean into building the intellectual property of the individual players? There was no question that was a better move. And that's what we ended up doing. And we're working now across our four sports with over 200 athletes um, and there's huge upside. I mean, let me tell you, you know, for everybody listening, 
the fascinating unmet you know opportunity that honestly even as athletes unlimited we haven't yet capitalized on is there's so much talk about nil at the college level when you see who what those deals are getting done many of them are with the female athletes in college sports many of them are in sports that athletes unlimited's in and i will tell you who's been missing out the pro women athletes have still not even been really you know, no one's really thought about how to how to work with them in, in as in as um, big a way. We're trying to do that, but honestly, I'm also running leagues at a time, and I got we have a lot to do. So it's on the priority list. It's a huge opportunity, and for anybody listening, I'd be focused on that because you know these amazing athletes. Most of them don't have agents. Most of them still aren't getting represented the way they should. And and you know there are some interesting marketplaces out there, but it's still all coming down to the individual athlete hustling for themselves, and that shouldn't be the case. Hearing you talk about kind of the the, the setup there of the IP where there's no teams kind of made me think about UFC, which there's central UFC branding, but for the most part, UFC is the athletes themselves, and they're always kind of at the mercy of how compelling their athletes are. Right? If if Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor are are kicking butt in the octagon. Things are great for UFC. If they suddenly hit this stretch where there's a lot of champions, but no one is is really compelling or really breaking through, things are not so great for for UFC. I'm curious if you think that that model, you're obviously really reliant on how compelling, how much your athletes are willing to help support what you're doing, to help promote what you're doing, etc. If there's at least maybe a, a risk involved with being having to kind of ebb and flow with the success of and the, the char- charisma of the athletes themselves. Yeah, you know... I think I think you're probably right. I, I, we haven't. I'll be I'll be frank. We haven't gotten there yet um, because we haven't created the global superstars that we want to create. And ultimately, that probably is something of a of a high class problem for us. Um, sure. I think we're not we're not there yet. It's not the main thing we're dealing with. But I would say I can understand that as a little bit of a risk. That kind of star generation, you know, capability, and how do you continue to generate stars? Listen, we we are doing something. Uh, I mean, UFC is massively successful. It's an incredibly successful property. So, if if we end up with that level of success, we, you know, this will have been an, an absolute grand slam for us. Um, and I think what a terrific, you know, again, like high class problem. But I, I think you're right. Um, for us, where we are focused, though, and it, it is a little bit different than any other league that's out there, is that. You know, this really is a player-driven organization, and I want to make sure, you know, everyone understands that, that the way we structured it, the way we have players involved in every level of decision-making, whether where we have player representation on the board, the thing that would worry me a little bit more about the UFC example or comparison is just, you know, that does not feel at all like a player-driven organization, to say the least. It feels like an, you know, the opposite, in fact. Yeah. that has kind of had, had individuals come through the gates, kind of. I don't want to say choose them up and spits them out, but that is like the opposite of what Athletes Unlimited is. We are a totally integrated organization, players sharing 50% of the profits. They're totally aligned to kind of help build long-term value. And so um, that to me is, is, is our kind of fundamental I think our competitive advantage. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about that, when we talked about the $25 million investment that's going into pro women's hockey, uh, we talked about that on the show last week and, and about how, when you cut athletes into that, they suddenly have a, a motivation to promote the thing that they're doing. Right. I think in, in a lot of pro leagues and UFC is a great example as well. There's kind of an adversarial relationship between 
the players themselves and the teams or the league and the things that, you know, athletes are doing that is really putting money in the owner's pockets as opposed to putting money in their own, in their own pockets, et cetera. Um, but it does seem as though the structure that you have deliberately is, is allowing and, and motivating athletes to kind of share in the promotional lift of getting athletes unlimited out there because as you said, they're, they're, they're equity holders and 50% profit holders in, in, in the endeavor. Yeah. And, and, and I will just make one other further clarification and you, you, you hit the point, but it's, it's long-term profits. And I think that's, what's so important because we do see a lot of profit sharing in some of the bigger, you know, pro leagues, but it's really just what it, you know, what happens in the current year that anybody's in. Our focus has got to be on that long-term value creation, getting long-term alignment. So if you, if I'm an athlete who plays right now, let's say I do one year, I start in the, on Wednesday in the basketball league and, and I don't play anything more than that. How does that work in terms of the long-term yeah. profit? Do I have a, a share, a, a convertible note? What exactly is the, is the process there? Exactly. You get a, you get a profits interest, which entitles you to a share of profits that the, the, the size of that share is determined by the, um, the number of other athletes in the league in that, in that given year. And then you get that piece of the, of the profits for 20 years into the future. So, so the current year plus 19 years. So, so, so yeah, that's the long-term alignment. Um, but then again, like, you know, there are other things we've done to really align with the players, you know, the recruitment plot process and the entire roster building process, all driven by, by our player executive committee in each sport. So we don't have general managers. We don't have coaches. We don't have team owners to get invited to play in our basketball league. You had to be invited by one of the four player executive committee members. They went through a rigorous process. We give them support. We give them analysis, whatever they need. But it's a player-driven process. And again, just so different than any league that's out there. So it's kind of like being on the playground. You know, you you just pick teams, right? I, I, you're with me. and But the next week, that could change, right? Depending on performance. 100%. Exactly right. So, so um, you know, 44 players got invited to the basketball league. And they, they came in uh, a week ago. We did. You know, we had practice sessions, training, orientation. Um, we did a couple scrimmages, and then uh, we determined four captains on the basis of the scrimmages. And then last yesterday afternoon, they had their first draft, and those four captains selected their teams. And you know, we, we live streamed it on Facebook and YouTube, um, and it's awesome. You're watching four great players select their teams, and if you're a fan of the sport, how can you not want to hear and see why a player is deciding who to add? Um, what their strategy is going to be. And then exactly right. They'll play this week with those teams. And at the end of uh, week one, whoever's at the top of the leaderboard, those four players will become captains for week two and it'll shift around. We'll do it all again. So that's the way it goes for five weeks. You know, fun, exciting. Every moment counts. Um, points on the line with every play. So let me extrapolate that Eben Novi Williams example there. So he's sitting there, headband on, trying to keep the flowing locks out of his face. White Sox pulled up high to the knees, you know, really, really not looking like he's a top draft pick. So he falls and he's player number 44, right, on Team X. It doesn't matter, right? Can you ballpark for me, what does that guy make in one season? And if you can extrapolate, you know, five years, 10 years as part of that profit plan, ballpark how much money is going in that player's pocket? Yeah, uh, let's put the profit plan aside. I want to, because uh, I want to separate that out. But, but average comp, is around $20,000 over the course of five weeks. So let's all acknowledge that is not a lot of money for, you know, anyone and certainly not enough to sustain anybody with a full-time career. So we, we fully recognize that. That's why, um, again, whether it's a compliment to WNBA or in the case of volleyball or some other sports where there are other playing opportunities, we are totally supportive of those players playing elsewhere. Um, because we recognize they deserve more. They need to make more to be pro full-time athletes. 
That said, in softball, as an example, which we launched in, in, in 2020, it was our first league. We've now run two seasons. We announced in December, in addition to the main five-week season that we have in the summer, we're going to launch another two-week season that's going to happen um, earlier in June. So players now are going to have roughly 25 30% more compensation opportunities and playing opportunities. And we're going to do that in each of our sports to the extent that we can, to the extent that it's demanded, to the extent that the players want it. So that's how you're going to get more compensation. Um, but it's roughly 20000 per season. Um, the top player probably will take home around forty-five or 50. Uh, on top of that, we give them um, additional funds that go to a charity of their choice. We provide housing. We provide travel. We provide childcare, um, healthcare. So we're trying to round out and provide a, a set of benefits. And, um, you know, the cash comp has a long way to go, but we're committed to, you know, continuing to contribute to it. John, there's parts of what you've said that, that kind of remind me of the PLL. There's parts that remind me of other leagues. I'm sure you looked at everybody, but, but it, it, are there professional inspirations that you found or, or, or leagues out there that you looked at and said, even overseas or in the U.S., that you said, wow, that's an innovative thing, that they're, they're really doing that's interesting. Who, who do you think that you kind of cribbed ideas from in the process yeah. here? I'll give you three, I think, that come to mind. So first, um, I think the concept of a five-week season with no postseason definitely comes from from the world of international soccer. I still think that you know, you know, put aside TV rights and and the reason we have such long postseasons. Let's put the NFL postseason aside because it's just been so awesome. We all love it. Um, I think generally speaking, um, I think that model is a better model. A race where the where the regular season matters, every game matters, and that's our five-week model. Second was the concept of the Indian, uh, the Indian Premier League, the Cricket League, which is only 10-week season, best, one of, the, one of the top leagues in the world, where there's just this excitement, intensity, again, short season, lucrative, players getting paid a lot of money. Same thing kind of from the Olympics or, 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 or um, any other kind of U.S. Open two-week tournament where there's just super intensity. We love that short duration where the regular season matters. And then third, yeah, I, I do love the, I love the PLL. Uh, I got to tell you, Paul and Mike were very generous with their time early on. Um, and, and the concept of not basing a league around like fixed geographic, we, we have a very different model than they do, but ultimately I think the way in which they innovated and were willing to challenge some kind of conventional, um, creations was, was, was a big deal. And so we love that. And then, you know, I, I'll come back to the WNBA because I think that it's been in the best model of player empowerment. It, again, that, that it's out there in sports, um, and in traditional leagues. And I think, you saw how the women of the WNBA really took a lead, um, you know, and have taken a lead historically. And I think women's basketball is such an incredibly, re- I mean, the sport of basketball is so relevant to everything in our society and culture. And I think they in particular. So I think w- w- we definitely believe in the power of sports to, to make the world a better place. That is what, you know, certainly gets me up every day. And I think a lot of people in our industry, and there's no question that, you know, professional women's basketball players, I think have exemplified that in a lot of ways. And so those would say the, the ones that have influenced, uh, influenced me and, and AU the most. All right. You mentioned Paul and Mike, of course, friends of the program, Paul and Mike Rabel, uh, you know, they, they've appeared on the program. We, we love what they're doing with the PLL. Although, uh, you know, John, you've gone this long and you haven't mentioned your new partner in the basketball venture on the corporate sponsor side. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, uh, I don't want to get you in trouble when, you know, the CEO of Aspiration calls and said, John, you had a media opportunity and, you know, and, and you didn't mention, but you, you just talked about cause though, right? And you ran NYCFC. And I, I'm curious if there's a difference in men and women's sports because, I mean, Aspiration, you don't hear about like eco-friendly bank and who we are and why we're doing what we're doing. 
Does that resonate more with women's sports and the audience that chooses to partake, or is that, or is ESG investing, is that what we're seeing now in sports in general? Yeah, we're seeing it in general. There's no question. Um, so, so I'll mention a couple of partners. So, certainly, Aspiration. We're incredibly excited to have brought them on. Um, you know, they're a financial institution. We've we've worked with them actually for a while, and, and this year we're now expanding that relationship, and they're helping us become the only carbon neutral pro sports league in in the United States, which I think is incredibly awesome. Um, it's their expertise. It's their program around. Um, you know, planting trees and carbon credits and all of their expertise, but fundamentally about reducing our carbon footprint. And they're going to help us do that. And then today we're announcing EY as our, one of our newest partners. And I think, again, we go back to the integrated marketing example, EY is helping us launch a civic leadership award, um, which is going to be presented to one of our players across all of our sports this year um, that will recognize their achievements off the field and what they've done off the field. We've also announcing eight other partners today um, that are coming on in different capacities, including Baden on the basketball side. Um, and we just are really fortunate where, you know, we're, we're renewing partners, bringing partners like Geico back, uh, Nike back. Um, and, and again, going back to your indications, I think today's news and, and I think, you know, if people have been following Athletes Unlimited, what we've seen is corporate partners really coming on board and supporting us. Um, but to answer your question, you know, I don't like it when people think too much about women's sports as women's sports in its own category. We're trying to be the best leagues in the world, whether that's for men or for women. I'm so proud of what we've been able to, to do so far. We have a long way to go, but I don't wake up any day thinking, all right, this is how we have to you know, compete or, 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 or do something you know, that another women's league is doing. I'm thinking about what's happening in the world of sports overall and how can we be the best and, and, and deliver the best experience for fans and athletes. I noticed you said for men or for women there, looking forward, is, is expansion including men's sports? Is expansion looking at more sports for, for, for female leagues? But what's the, what does what the growth plan look like for, uh, for Athletes Unlimited? Yeah, so, so four things on the on the trajectory. First, always I'm focused on how do we improve the leagues we're operating in currently. Never take my eye off the ball on that. We have to make it incredible. We want the best athletes to come back. The best thing that's happened, you, you know, so far is the athletes have had amazing experiences when they've been in our leagues and they great word of mouth and they want to return. That's key. So that's the first thing. Keep making each one better. Um, expand within each of those sports like we're doing in softball with what we call AUX, this new two-week season. Um, definitely then want to add leagues. Um, no question about it. For now, I'm very, very focused and we're very focused on women's professional sports. We think there's more opportunity there that is absolutely ripe. And, and, and I don't think we'll do that in 2022, but I think beyond that, we're doing that. But men's sports is not off the table entirely. I think we could come back to that. And then third and fourth are just we know how many other businesses, you know, each of us are, are in. If you're in the sports world, you know, there are just so many new business opportunities that are coming along. We're going to be selective about which ones we pursue. And then finally, partner with the athletes. I mentioned that at the beginning of the call, but, um, you know you guys, uh, everyone knows that, that aligning with these individual athletes, there's big opportunities. It hasn't been capitalized on, and I'd be excited for athletes unlimited to do more with, with these as individuals. All right. That's John Patrickoff, co-founder athletes unlimited. The other guy is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter. You can find him at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Our social media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it. When I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub Oh, well, John, stay tuned. Very soon become the Sportico Podcast Network.